At Jared, we have a brilliant selection of beautifully crafted diamond engagement rings and certified loose diamonds so that you can find the perfect one for your one and only. Best selection, best prices. Enjoy the Jared difference today. Jared, love brilliantly. My name is Tracy Ariel, and I am unapologetically Canadian. This week, I'm interviewing Elizabeth Johnson, who is a self-actualization consultant and story coach and a friend of mine here in Montreal. She leads a Memoir in a Month Challenge every November through OwnYourCreativity.com. She has a new business called Skills for Success, where she uh, helps uh, businesses uh, create their own story. Uh, I hope that you'll enjoy our conversation, which took place in a restaurant. I apologize if it's a little noisier than my conversations usually are, but I hope uh, you'll enjoy it. Find creative creativity as a collective or an individual. Um, yeah, yeah. Activity. I, I, I'm not. Well, you know, I think that there are phases. You know, I think that creativity comes from the individual, but it's informed by the collective, and then after it's it's shaped by the individual, then it goes back into the collective. So I think that there's some kind of, you know, back and forth fluidity that, that that happens I think I think that's the best thing you know the best outcome is that it does go back into the collective and that it starts some conversation or adds to it and then it comes back to you and you know um, yeah ideally you know but I think I think a lot of times people you know they do things and it just falls flat or it doesn't get any response or you know and I think that speaks to the really important part of marketing yourself you know I think today we really have to you know get out there and make connections with people too right so so when you're marketing yourself and, and what you do it isn't it isn't a solo activity you really have to you know engage other people and get them on board with what you're doing because you can't create really in a, in a vacuum and you can't be successful in a vacuum nobody is successful all by themselves right and so it's a, it's a very interactive thing, I think, to, to, to be an artist, to be a writer, but also just to be a human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because um, creativity as a, as a facet of life is, um, is almost giving a, a vulnerable side of you as well. And yeah. I think that that is part of what making relationships is. So in many ways, the links between people are creative just just in order to have a relationship with someone. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Very cool. I love just creating things in, by myself and then sending them out into the world. But I found that um, I wasn't growing as much as I wanted to that way. And so this gives me an opportunity to give, to have both sides of my business um, help the other side evolve. Yeah. And at the same time, it helps you evolve. And it's, it's so interesting that you say that you're a bit of an introvert because I would never have said that about you for as long as that I've known you. And, 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 it's, and it's kind of surprising because several people that I would say are introverts and, and they, they identify as that, I don't find that at all. So, like, I don't know what the deal is. Maybe introverts are really good at putting on that facade. <laughs> well, no, because I'm a social introvert. Oh, so when okay. I'm with people, I actually love being with people, mm. but I get energy from being... That's the difference. So I'm a very social introvert. There's no reason for you to have known that I was. Like, yeah. you can't tell 
from someone whether what they get energy from, and that's yeah. what the introvert extrovert thing means. So yeah. that's why um, you know most people wouldn't define me as an introvert either because I'm not afraid to talk in public. I'm not all those things that people yeah. think of. I don't have any shyness around meeting new people. All the things that people um, associate with introversion, with introversion, um, I don't have them. So because I have the social side. Right, right. And so you just need some alone time to recharge your batteries? Is yeah. That, yeah, yeah, I don't I, I don't get power from being with other people. Yeah. I, I get power. I need a certain amount of time alone mm-hmm. every week, you know, it's like a, a recharging. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, maybe I'm an introvert then, too. <laughs> <laughs> Do you consider yourself an extrovert, though? Um, I, Have you always considered yourself an extrovert before this conversation? Well, I just, I never really put myself into either camp, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I just didn't find that they were really helpful uh, categories for me because I, because I do oscillate, you know, between, it depends on, on the context and whom, I, whom I'm with, you know, whether I, I feel introvert, uh, introversion or extroversion, I guess, so, but I do like to have my, my own space, I do like to be on my own and um, think of things and you know, go to a cafe and write in my journal. And <laughs> You write in a cafe. Yeah. See, I can't write in a public place. Really? I don't like it. No. Wow. Do you find it odd to read in a public place then? Nope. No, I don't mind. I can read. Yeah. I can read anywhere. Yeah. Being in a cafe, I mean, I know lots of writers have done it that way, but I just find it distracting. Whereas I don't, it's not the noise that I find distracting, it's the fact that I might see someone or the fact that I, you know, I'm not completely into my work, I'm actually in the space. Right, yeah. Well, that's why I, when I'm writing in my journal, I make sure that I go to a cafe where I know I'm not going to run into anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, um, for me, that kind of writing is like, it doesn't necessarily lead anywhere, but it might. Right. Or, um, or I know, you know, I'm working on a project uh, and I'm, I just want to go someplace else different and, and just, uh, you know, uh, um, explore that one idea, right? So, so for me, it, it's not really uh, the place where, where I do a lot of the heavy lifting of the writing process that always is at home in a quiet space in my office and yeah where I can concentrate and, you know, to do the larger chunks that's you know I do that at home and, so maybe we should talk maybe you should introduce yourself and what you do and, and how your life goes too my yeah readers don't know anything about you my listeners don't know anything about you either that's true <laughs> so yeah Elizabeth Johnston of the Own Your Creativity podcast um, I started the podcast about the two and a half years ago because I wanted to um, explore how creativity manifests itself uh, in other people's lives. And so I talked to all sorts of people from all walks of life, uh, not just, you know, typical, typical or stereotypical creatives like, you know, writers or drummers or artists or, or that, you know, I talked to philosophers, business people, um, and, uh, and, and everything in between. So everyone in between. And, um, and it was an extension, really, of my um, teaching. I teach creative writing. I've been uh, teaching creative writing and screenwriting and all different other types of writing for um, about 25 years now. And, um, and I also teach 
um, a university course, uh, Skills for Success. Um, and it's mainly for students who need to get back on track with their academic goals. But what I've realized it, over the years is that um, a lot of them fail out of their program um, or just kind of don't have the motivation to show up for their lives because they're not passionate about something, right? They haven't activated that creative core in themselves. Oh, wow. So in many ways, that's like a class about helping them discover their creative core. It really is. It wow, really is. that's awesome. And, uh, and, and it was interesting to me that, that those two things converge because on the face of it, it's like, oh, creative writing and, you know, then, you know, time management and, you know, uh, putting a schedule together. It's like, what's that? How is that? You know, but I'm, I'm realized that it's so important um, to, to have both that organizational ability because you know when you create a schedule um when you set out a um, um you know goal action plan that's the container for your creativity right that's what's going to hold your dreams yeah it's and way easier to be creative if you have a structure that you're already building within yeah if you have to create your structure you you spend all you it's sort of like i think we have a level you know how we have a level of willpower per day i think we have a level of creativity a day per day. yeah and if you're creating all sorts of minor things, you don't get the chance to actually think deeply. Yeah, yeah. And how so can you build passion without deep thought, you know? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, so I, um, actually, I, I talked to James Clear uh, oh. just recently for my podcast, and he has a new book out called Atomic Habits, and he has the Habits Academy, um, and, uh, and, 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 in one of his chapters, he says that um, that uh, in order to be successful, you have to fall in love with boredom. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That is that is a fascinating idea. Yeah. Because if you're not bored, you can't actually create out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, boredom or not being you know 100% occupied is is a way of of kind of lying fallow, you know, like a field, right? Like it, you need you need to have that kind of time where where you do get bored, and then you think, okay, enough of this. Like I've got to find something that's going to excite me. But also, what he says um, is that you have to fall in love with boredom because a lot of what you're going to do in order to get to where you need to go is going to be repetition. And, oh. and and so you know, like if you if you're going into want you know going to the Olympics or whatever, I mean you have to do a lot of sit-ups or whatever, right? So you you have to find um, a way to love the boredom, you know, love the repetition, and because um, that's part and parcel of your success. I mean you you know, and it goes to consistency and regularity and routine and time management and schedules. <laughs> So that helped with your course teaching too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's funny because um, I hadn't heard that from him, but I, I guess someone else was quoting him. And I remember thinking boredom. But if you're busy creating, how can you possibly be bored? But I think that's because after so many years of of using a creative muscle, I don't actually, I don't. When I have time alone of thinking, I'm no longer thinking about it as being bored. Whereas I remember as a kid being bored all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I think it depends on 
how, what you how, what, what you use as that an identifier for that word. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, because being silent for sure is necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And having downtime and recharging your batteries and all that stuff, which which you know some may say it is. is being bored, but and I think you know with all the um, with the generation that I'm teaching now, and they're addicted to their cell phones and you know checking their, you know, and and so every every moment is filled with something, you know, and something that gives them immediate gratification and or immediate depression because when they check their phone, it's like oh nobody's texted me in the last three seconds, <laughs> oh, no, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Yeah, no. I didn't think about that actually. It's true. Because yeah. I have two kids, one who's 23 and one who's 19. Um, it's true. They look at their phones a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's their connection to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But I don't, I don't see it so different as fun. The only thing that's really, really different. Remember all those lineups where you used to have to stand in and be bored on your mind and meet yes. everyone around you? Yes. They don't have to do that anymore. They can actually yeah. be entertaining you when they're yeah. in that kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. But I remember being at their age, being like on the phone all the time. You know, socialized is important as a teenager for Oh, us. yeah. I know. My goodness. I the phone in the kitchen for hours on end. <laughs> there were three girls in my house, so my parents... Had a long a time limit for your phone. Oh, okay. So the phone would the buzzer would go off, and then you'd have to pass it on to the other person. <laughs> I remember we all of us thought that this was the most cruel thing ever. <laughs> I don't know how else you would share fairly, you know? Yeah. Because all of us wanted to be on it for the whole time that we weren't doing something else. Yeah. So, but I don't know if that. I don't like they don't need to do that. They all have their own cell phones well before they hit teenage life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they don't. They don't have a feeling of needing to actually relate to other people like that. Mm. Like, it's um, if they want to talk to people, they just pick up their phone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I guess means when no one answers, it is harder. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we're at uh, a stage where we're, where we're, where they're going to have to learn how to be alone. Yeah. And how to be bored. And how to be bored. And how to create, how to be comfortable in nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the, that is the hard part. Like, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, it's usually when there's nothing, unless you're, unless you're in a very good place, you get all of those things that come and tell you how rotten you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the negative self-talk is rampant, you know, with, with the cohort that I teach. And uh, um, so we try to introduce mindfulness to them and those techniques. But, but it's challenging for them because um, they have to separate themselves. You know, they have to sit there and say, oh, okay, all these thoughts um, are flowing by. And I, but I, I'm not my thoughts, right? I don't have to uh, identify with them. But they are so caught up in, in all of that negative self-talk that it's hard for them to disengage. And 
so so we had we actually had a class last week and yeah, a guest speaker came in and talked about mindfulness and and ran them through some some exercises and, and a lot of them said oh it didn't work for me and so mindfulness and meditation it's not for me you know? but it's a big group oh, no. you know they and so they they kind of have this knee jerk thing like if it doesn't happen instantly like a, you know a ping on your cell phone yeah then then it's not not. So I guess you'll have to try that uh, an exercise later in the term again in a different way Yeah. see if maybe they can connect to it. Because mindfulness yeah. is so much deeper than just yeah. um, meditation. Yeah. Mindfulness yeah. is so important for if you want to create excellence. You need to have mindfulness first because otherwise you're not able to look at something you created from an, outside, an exterior mm. voice. I mean, that's almost what you need to become the editor. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. Yeah, so I don't know how you can create something and then judge your own things and improve it, you know, before you're ready to release it out into the world. Yeah, yeah. Although maybe it makes it easier for them to publish things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, speaking about, um, you know, publishing and being a writer, um, I think some people would be really afraid to have a seasonal life because the idea out there is that you throw yourself into a career, whatever it is, and then you have to keep on doing it and maintaining it because as soon as you, you know, stop um, you know, talking about it or tweeting about it or whatever, that that no one no one will remember you, and that so. How did you get over that that fear of scarcity? That like if you only you know, looked for clients half of the year, that somehow that that would work. I think that that probably, because I was so involved in my children's school, and because I did two projects that sort of gave me entire summers off for basically four years in a row, um, that I almost had a seasonal life before I identified having a seasonal life, because I did, um, when I did the Ulysses Taking Guide um, for two, two summers in a row, uh, the kids and I were either camping in Ontario or oh, hiking yeah, in Ontario in, or, yeah. or cycling in Ontario. You know, we, and that was like, it turned out because then I was doing the Trans-Canada School Association book too. And so it turned out to be four summers that we took off to do research. Now that was doing the work for the winter. It was the research part of, of, of those projects. But because I was traveling, I, I, I set aside many different projects that I would have done normally throughout the year, and that sort of got me into the habit of having a distinct life from both sides. But I didn't register it at the time as a seasonal life. I just registered it as, well, this is summer because the kids are off school, and this is how we can do the research, and it'll make it fun. Yeah. I was much more in terms of trying to make family life and business life work together than I was thinking about what it meant for me as an individual. Hmm, interesting. So um, I think that's probably how it evolved without, like, when I actually, for me, when I finally decided to tell people I have a senior, I'd already been doing it for two or three years. I was already doing, you know, the, the, co the co-op was a hobby. It, it wasn't quite paying yet, but it was, it was still functional. And so I was already, a lot of the things that I did, I was trying to integrate them with each other, and then as soon as I decided to do my podcast Unapologetically Canadian, it was like, oh my god, this seasonal life is actually Canadian, <laughs> it actually connects all together, but it wasn't, it was not planned that way, you know, it was almost integrating after the fact. Oh, wow. So it was, it was very organic, yeah. the way that, that 
Is that enough for you today? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let me take this away. Thank you. Yeah, no. Well, just to let you know, okay, do not bring the bill to the table. When you're ready, it's going to be the best. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> What a wonderful place. Yeah. So, um, I was going to ask um, you. Because we were talking about the organic <laughs> seasonal life. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and so so now you are um, part of the co-op, and um, and you're uh, growing your own sprouts. And, yeah. And, um, we have an aquaponics system at the greenhouse. Oh, so my we goodness. Have, uh, uh, the organization, like we have the farmers markets, and now I'm putting together the catalog for people to be able to buy um, food. Also. We're trying to make basically our goal is to be make it possible for people to eat locally all year. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm doing projects to try and make that happen. That's so cool. Um, yeah. I uh, started growing my own sprouts. <laughs> well done. What kind of sprouts are you growing? Um, the red clover and broccoli and. Uh, Mung beans, oh, yeah. lentils, and something else. Um, no, that's a lot of sprouts for one person. Yeah, well, I only I only do like a teaspoon at a time, and oh, I, I have I have the the round circle thing. And oh the, yes, I, I have one of those too. I love that thing. Yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah, so I'm just doing that, but um, and I, I started doing that um, a few weeks ago, um, mainly you know to actually save a little bit of money, mm -hmm. um, uh, but. Now that I'm doing it, I actually feel that I'm more in control of my, my time and the food that I'm eating. Because, I mean, I really believe that the food we eat fuels our creativity mm -hmm. as well. And I'm just so pleased with myself <laughs> that, that, you know, I can potentially have all these sprouts throughout the whole winter now. Um, and I, I know where they're coming from. And, um, and, and it... And it Gives me more of a sense of, of control of, over over my own sort of sphere as well, and I didn't expect that. Yeah. Did, you know, I didn't expect to, to feel more in control, but also more part of the natural world yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, you're doing something that we've been doing for you know thousands of years. Yeah. So basically, you're connecting into what a human is meant to do in many ways. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's um. Uh, I think it's fascinating when you start trying to eat, even if you don't do everything, like sprouts is a perfect example because you can do it, it's not very much, if some of them only sprout and they don't they turn into the long things, then they're germination, you know, it's yeah. like whether you do sprouts or whether you do um, uh, microgreens, yeah. you're still eating what you produce, yeah. so it, like, it, it almost makes, it feels like a connection to our ancestors. Okay? It really does. And, you know, a lot of people were you know, upset, like, oh, well, you know, um, we've always had, you know, GMOs, and it's just, you know, a natural evolution of, like, how we're, you know, growing our food and, and whatnot. But I always say, like, in my grandmother's time, there was no GMOs, and, and they didn't actually use pesticides in, in, their, in their crops. Everything was organic, so there wasn't any of this hang-up of, like, oh, you know, organic. It's just, it's like, some new thing. It's like, you know, up until about 50, 60 years ago, right, everything was, was organic, and so I really feel like I'm connecting with with that whole history and and also when I'm making a sandwich or, or something it's like oh I grew that and oh I you know I grew yeah. this and and my friend gave me this and and there's like so many things that are grown from from my hands or from the hands of people that I know yeah. well one of the things we talk about with the with the market farmers market one of my neighbors was saying so what you just have people there selling things <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's like, no, to tell people that what you're actually doing is you're actually not just eating locally so that you know that the food that's grown is within a, dis a certain distance, but we also have artisans and we have people who are making food. And so you're also creating the opportunity for these people to create their own businesses and to be uh, financially secure. Yes. And, and you are basically building an economy right around you and so you can see exactly you know exactly how you're helping because you can see how their business evolves and yeah. we have it's really so like the kombucha people now yeah yeah have gone they're they're distributed everywhere yeah um you know we've had the, the woman who did our bakery baked goods the yeah. first year she's gone into a restaurant you know so you really see how people develop their own um their own abilities and creativity in many yeah. ways. They, they extend the creativity to bigger spaces when they have a chance to actually use it and be appreciated for it. Yeah. You know, so for me, a market is more than just local food. It's also local appreciation. Yeah. And, it, and like you say, it, it, it's this space where creativity can flourish mm -hmm. too, which is so cool. Yeah, because everybody there is either making or growing what they are selling. Yeah. And so... Um, Everybody you meet has a hand in what they're trying to sell you, and so I think it it gives the person who's buying it an opportunity to feel like they're part of the creative process too, because they know that this you know this person in lots of cases we change what we produce according to what people tell us, and so you actually see how you're influencing people around you as you do. That's so really cool. Like we have one woman who makes um, small little. Um, Magnets for the fridge that are taught that are pies, <laughs> and so you know, as people were looking at them, they're like, hey, those pumpkin pies. So she started making pumpkin pies, and so like, but I like apple pies. So she started making yeah. apple pies, and it was like you could actually see every week as she was bringing a new collection, you know, from the people who mentioned things the week before. Yeah, it was really fun. yeah. Well, it's a great way to test the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so that's uh, so my, I need to ask you my last question, yes. which is, um, are you a Canadian? And if so, what does that mean to you? Yes, I am a Canadian. I was born in Ontario, mm -hmm. and I moved here to Montreal about 25 years ago. And, um, and yeah, what does it mean to me? Well, it, it, it's kind of um, a complica complicated question for me because... My grandparents, I'm the first generation to be born here. And so my grandparents came with my mother after the Second World War. They came here. And um, and so I don't really ever, I, didn't, I never really felt like I had roots here um, in, in Canada. Um, and uh, they were somewhere in Europe. And like I, but I didn't speak Polish. And I, you know, never met any of my, my relatives except one great aunt. She was Russian and she came um, over to visit us and she didn't speak any English but she also didn't speak uh, in the house to anybody oh, no. she thought that that Russia had you know microphones and that they would you know so she yeah. and um, and all, all I remember from her is that she would um, sit in, in our house or trailer and just be uh, sewing oh wow sewing, you know mending all the things that you know we don't mend anymore and uh, yeah so but so, yeah, I consider myself Canadian, um, but kind of like a rootless Canadian, and I guess that's why I, I felt it was so easy for me to move um, to another province, and one where I didn't speak a language when I moved as well. 
So, and people were saying, are you crazy? You don't speak French. And how are you going to get a job? And it's like, it's like, well, I don't know. It'll, it'll all figure itself out. And, and it did. And, um, but, but surprisingly enough, when I moved here, and that was when I found out that I actually have Acadian roots and, oh. and from New Brunswick and that we go all the way back to Brittany in the 1500s. Oh. And so, so I thought, oh, that's why I moved to a French uh, you know, province. Somewhere in my DNA is new, you know. So anyway. Yeah, that's so where maybe we're related. <laughs> so and and you? Yeah. Uh, well, I definitely consider I'm, I'm a, I am an apologetically Canadian, but um, for me, uh, the local, seasonal, and also um, connected community based is yeah. really um, how I see Canada. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's really interesting to see how the response when I ask people that question, what they tend to bring up. Um, changes how I see it as well. Like I was interviewed somebody who was, um, uh, she uh, is part of the Banff um, Forum, which is a group of young people trying to create what the next Canada will be like. Oh, and so I thought that's awesome in yeah. terms of, um, so, so in many ways, being Canadian is being connected and creative together because we actually have, um, it's a very collective kind of country. It's, uh, it's a federation, which I love the fact that it's a federation, you know, every single province is actually supposed to be its own thing and, and we're stronger together. And I just think that those kinds of, um, those kinds of ideas are important and I think they have a real place uh, to try and help the whole world be more connected together uh, collectively. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope our neighbors to the south, you know, pick up through osmosis some of that. <laughs> well, I think they, I think they, they do because they're, they're, they do have um, a really good local economy. They do. Yeah, Vermont so, is amazing yeah. that yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Vermont and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're in California. I mean, they have. It's really interesting how, um, as their uh, national politics get so divisive, their local politics get so um, connected and, and, and much less divisive. I think that people are connecting to people that they didn't, they wouldn't have otherwise, just because they don't want to deal with the negativity anymore. Yeah! Wow, that's a really awesome way to look at it. <laughs> I love that. I feel so much better now. <laughs> chat with you and talking about creativity and what it means to be Canadian together and uh, I guess we're on the way to the John Tallon market now. Yes we are. You've been listening to Unapologetically Canadian. This episode was brought to you by Thrive Themes. Use Thrive Themes to make your website look the way you want it to. billion is just a number, but not when we use it for our community benefits plan. Or for our $500 million initiative, PNC Grow Up Great, supporting young children and early childhood educators. And uplift communities with programs that advance economic empowerment. Our doors are open. 
PNC, a Main Street bank helping all move forward financially. It's not just about dollars, it's about change. 